Thank God today, and this is Pastor Adams, President and Founder of Truth Matters Ministries in Atlanta, Georgia. We're just so thankful once again that you've allowed us to come into your homes and to be able to share the truth surrounding God's Word. And we take not light the responsibility of being host and attendance of this very vital ministry of contending for the faith that is once and for all been delivered unto the saints according to Jude 3. And as our custom is, before we get into our teaching for today, we want to pause and pray. Now, Father, we just thank you for all things. We thank you for your consistency. We thank you for your faithfulness. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, Lord, your name is to be praised. We thank you for joy. We thank you for victory. We thank you for perseverance, Lord God, through every test and trial that confronts our lives. We thank you today, Lord God, that you are the God of the second chance. We thank you that you are a heart fixer. You are a way maker. You are our mind regulator. We thank you that you are the ancient of days. There's nothing that comes into our lives that does not first pass through your hands that you will give us power and the ability to bear it. You bless someone today. Let someone walk out of confusion. Let someone's heart and mind be enlightened. Let humility have its course today that men might be able to lay hold of your word, that they might be able to make adjustments, that they can please you and be a more effective for your kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name we pray today. And today we're going to be uh, talking about a very important topic about the truth of baptism in Jesus' name. The truth about baptism in Jesus' name. Today we're going to explore those often controversial yet important doctrine of baptisms. Many view baptism as a fundamental requirement for becoming saved or born again or a Christian. Others see it as an ordinance that merely identifies you as a member of the body of Christ or being saved. There are some others who believe that you can't even go to heaven or be saved unless you were baptized in water. Now many listening today have been baptized by the formula such as, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yet there are others who insist that unless you have been submerged in water with the formula or the oral declaration spoken, I baptize you in the name of Jesus, that you're not even saved. So today, what is the 411 in the biblical truth about baptism relative to salvation and regeneration? And secondly, why is it important for us to know? Now, here's the answer. Because what you believe about baptism has a direct correlation to your concept of the God that you serve. It can cause you to see God as a one person or a distorted manifestation, ultimately disfiguring and misidentifying the true God of creation. Now, to accurately arrive at the truth about baptism from an exegetical perspective, we must enlist the testimony of scripture and the expertise of great grammarians and learned theologians. I think it's wise that we do that. We have researched the findings of some of the world's foremost authorities of biblical studies and Greek and Hebrew grammar, men such as A.T. Robertson, Dr. Julius Manti, who is the Albert Einstein of Greek exegesis, Dr. Walter Martin, the founder of the Christian Research Institute, and F.F. Bruce, Professor of Biblical Criticism and Exegesis at Rylands University in Manchester, England. And we have also gleaned the expertise of Dr. Walter Martin and Dr. Damon Richardson, who was the founder of Urban Logia Ministries, 
who is the primary contributor of the details of this podcast today. I sincerely recommend that everyone listening visit his ministry site, Urban Logia. So that that way you can receive firm, grounded exposition of scripture in the Orthodox Central Bible doctrine. Now, as we begin our exegetical analysis, there is an imperative that must be resolved. What is that, Pastor Adams? It is concerning the distorted interpretation and doctrinal construct created within Acts 2 and 38. What does Acts 2 and 38 say? It reads, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, I know I was taught unless a person followed this formula, they were not saved or baptized properly. I'm sure many of you listening today have had that experience as well. Now, essentially, this was described as a prescription of getting saved. Now, to properly interpret this in any other text, you must yield to the grammar of the text. And you got to see it in the light of the unified voice of Scripture. That's the only way that you can properly interpret Scripture. Now, in the Greek grammar, the preposition E-I-S or eyes is translated F-O-R or for in the English, which is sometimes used as kelic. What does kelic mean? It means that it's identifying something that is moving or a goal towards something. Now, others interpret eyes as causal. What does that mean? Meaning that it's the basis or the grounds of something. Most of the time, it refers to something that is happening now or in the past. So, when utilizing the crucial scriptural synergy principle, we read something very powerful in Matthew 3 and 11. He says, I baptize you with water, ice, for repentance. I baptize you in water, ice, for repentance, Kellic, to prove or affirm that you have repented by being baptized. You catch that? The proof of metanoia, or doing that 180 degrees about face through repentance by baptism is not kelic, but it's causal. Now, Matthew 10 and 41, it says a prophet's reward, righteous persons in ice in the name of the prophet means by the authority or the causal process, which is not the kelic view that is indicating that it's moving forward some future event or something. Now Matthew 12 and 41 records men repented because of John's preaching or on the grounds or on the basis of his preaching, not Kellic that it would ins- like not Kellic that it would insinuate his future preaching will cause them to repent. You see the difference? Now with that perspective established, let's take a closer look at Acts 238. A.T. Robinson, the author of Grammar and Greek New Testament, uses the illustration that baptism is equivalent to being paid for the work that you completed last week. Or you are getting rewarded for some achievement that you've already accomplished. I want you to understand the difference that A.T. Robinson makes about the word for. In that sense, baptism is commanded on the basis or the grounds of the fact that their sins had already been remitted through repentance. 
A.T. Roberts synchronizes the principle of scriptural synergy, interprets scripture with scripture by referencing Acts 10, 43 and 44. I want you to look at that Acts 10, uh, 10, 43 and 44. Far from affirming the sequential formula that's been described in Acts 2 and 38, it totally decimates the formula because the Holy Spirit fell on all of the men in Acts 10 43 and 44 and they were saved without ever being water baptized mm -hmm. see the text states whoever believes in him shall receive remissions of sins through his name or his authority of the atonement how can we forget Hebrews 9 and 22, which affirms that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. That always puzzled me, even when I was baptizing in Jesus' name. It says that I'm baptizing in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. And then Hebrews 9 and 22 says that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. See, the scriptural synergy principle should safeguard us from teaching false doctrines that mimic egregious teachings like baptismal regeneration, which is suggesting that water baptism cleanses us from sin. Now listen and live today. In Acts 2.38, there are two commands. The first one is repent, metanoia. The second one is be baptized, baptismal, being submerged in water. Now in the Greek, the command repent is in the second person plural I know you all don't like grammar but you know we got to go there because if we don't go there we'll never get where we need to get to so repent is in the second person plural one person talking to another like y'all if Peter said you repent that would be second person singular so here in Acts 238 it is second person plural now the command to get baptized is in the third person singular please note that in the Greek grammar syntax, the sequence of words don't really matter, but in English it does. So to know the form or the contextual meaning of scriptures, you have to know the tense of or the pronouns within the passage. Most who subscribe to Acts 2.38 as the formula for baptism have not disciplined themselves to these crucial grammatical imperatives. The truth matters today. Now, biblical author Calvert Beisner and Dr. Damon Richardson reveal the Greek pronoun hamais, meaning your, is in the second person plural. I want you all to stay with me here, which means the second causal connection is between repentance and remission of sins and is grounded and established right there. There is zero causal connection between baptism and remission. But pay attention. The causal connection is between repentance and remission. Just let that simmer and marinate while you chew on it. Because truth matters today. Here he is talking about y'all, plural, and here is why I'm talking to y'all. Y'all must repent for remittance. Now go get baptized on the grounds or the basis that you have already repented. That's what he was saying in Acts 2.38. See, there are organizations like the Assemblies of God, the 
Pentecostal Assemblies of the World, United Pentecostal Church, the Apostolic Churches that deny baptizing in the name of, of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is a legitimate biblical practice or formula. But instead, they point to Acts 2.38 as the formula for executing baptism. But when you exegete Matthew 28.18 through 19, Jesus establishes the foundation of how the biblical formula for baptism is to be executed. What was that? He said, with the backdrop of having just conquered death and atoned for our sins, reconciled man, substituted for man's transgressions, and became the preeminent one who uh, the disciples just fell down and worshipped him. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me by my unmatched authority. Go and baptize in the name of the Father and of the name of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. See, go is the primary verb. And the secondary verb expands on what they are to do when they go. Do it on the grounds or the basis of the authority that has been granted unto you from me. One element is to make disciples. The second was to baptize. And the third was to teach. But none of them is effective without having Jesus Christ's authority. Now we will mind the rich truths that are embedded in the Greek construction of Matthew 28:19. It is rendered autos to alama in the name of a petros in the name of the father with the definite article the and the curio name of the son with with the definite article and kito numahegian the name of the holy spirit noma in the name here shows how the greek functions every time a personal noun when speaking of a person is preceded by a definite article in this case the and are separated by the copulative ka kai in this case the word and they refer to three separate nouns or persons it's inescapable thus highlighting the impossibility of using a singular name for three separate persons. The Greek rule is non-negotiable and is absolutely airtight. See, Greek rules of grammar must be understood, hear me. In their attempt to deny Jesus' deity, the Jehovah's Witnesses interpret Titus 2.13 as two persons coming when it says, We wait for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. But Granville Sharper, renowned Greek grammarian, established a grammatical rule that cannot be violated. What was it? Granville Sharp's rule says that when two singular common nouns are used to describe a person, and those two nouns are joined by an additive conjunction, and the definite article precedes the first noun but not the second then both nouns refer to the same person here it underscores the imperative of understanding grammar when interpreting scripture why is that important pastor adams well our eternal destinies are at stake if we don't how about that now back to Matthew 28, 19. The only persons who argue that this text is referring to one God who is addressed as Jesus are those without any command of grammar. It was that way for years. I know I was like that for years, just echoing what my bishop or my pastor taught. I never took time to study it, nor was I taught the grammatical components involved in interpretation. Most oneness adherents spout father is not a name, son is not a name, and the Holy Spirit is not a name. I was told and taught a superficial conclusion that they are only titles. The spurious teaching causes a reductive conclusion that Jesus was mentioned in Acts 2.38 is a name. 
So logically, Jesus must be the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost is what many people assume. Just like Jehovah's Witnesses who did not let grammar assist them in their interpretation of Titus 1.13 and follow established rules, oneness adherence rests the Holy Scriptures to their own destruction. It must be mentioned that in the Greek it does not distinguish titles from names. This text is not about the topic of a particular name, but the unity of what the Godhead, which is the one God, and the authority that Jesus achieved is given to the first century apostles to do what? To establish the church and bring the glorious gospel to everyone in the world. When this text highlights the uniqueness of its members, but unifies them as a composite triune God, bringing salvation and fulfillment to the world in the authority of what Jesus provided through the atonement and his resurrection. Now see, I've baptized hundreds of people in the name of Jesus. When some went in the water dry devils, they came up wet devils. I often wonder why the alleged magic mantra of saying in Jesus' name didn't really change them. Well, the answer is very simple. You ready for it? Baptism does not cleanse a man's heart or soul. See, the scriptures testify that we are clean by the washing of the water of the word. The word is Christ. Jesus said in John 6 and 63 that his words were spirit and life. Ephesians 5, 25 and 26 tells us he cleanses us by the washing of the water of the word. It awakens us to what Christ did for us on Calvary by shedding his blood of remission when the spirit convicts our heart to repent and to believe by faith of what he has done and who we are. And we're cleansed and our sins are remitted by his completed atonement. See, water can cleanse the body, but it sure can't cleanse us from sins. It is not the means of remission, but when we get baptized, it is an indication that you have been cleansed from your sins. I think it's important to repeat. You see, baptism is not the means of remission, but when you get baptized, it is an indication that you've been cleansed or saved. It must be said that baptism is an act that only Christians or saved people actually have done. It does not make you a believer. It is an act of obedience because you are a believer. Those who insist on teaching that the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost are only titles, and Jesus is the name of, uh, is the name of God, are known as modalists or sabellianism. This first century hearsay taught that God just operates in different modes. Sometimes he's the father and other times he's the son of the Holy Ghost. But his name is Jesus is the implication. They are attempting to force a square peg into a round hole. And my experience has always shown me that it just doesn't work. Dr. Richardson alludes to the scenario of an attorney in a courtroom and they were prosecuting a case that required three witnesses of a crime uh, to be actually come forward to convict an individual. So they called Jesus to the stand for his testimony and witness. And the attorney says, your honor, this is Jesus. He's my three witnesses. The judge would explain, hey, He's just one person or one witness. The attorney still needs to bring forth two more. Well, in the scriptures, it shouts out that Jesus testifies of himself and his witness is true. But I got to just keep moving along, people of God. Jesus said in John 8 and 18, I testify of myself and my father testifies of me also. John 15 and 26 says something very powerful. It tells us that the spirit testifies of Jesus as well. Here are three separate persons 
who all have their own distinct testimony and witness. Jesus can't be the name of three separate persons. Just now, as I'm preparing this teaching today, my grandbaby's favorite in San Antonio just sent me an ultrasound picture of her twins, which are due in February 2024. She gave me their weight and their names, K.I. and Kaliana. She did not say their names is K.I. Why? Because she realized that each one of those babies is a distinct person and Kaliana can't be addressed as K.I. See, many wonders Pentecostals resist baptizing in Jesus as Jesus instructed in Matthew 28 and 19, suggesting that the apostles understood what Jesus meant and they executed the formula pronouncing Jesus' name during the baptism. They use alleged proof texts like Acts 8 and 16, Acts 10 and 47, Acts 19 and 5 to validate the formula of baptizing. These are all nothing but reaffirmations of the authority that was given in Matthew 28, 18, and 19. And they baptized by the formula of Matthew 28, 19, by the authority that Jesus gave them when he came off the cross with all power in his hand. Now, any student of scripture will already know that the book of Acts is a unique type of writing that was completed by Luke. It is an accounting of exploits and journeys and wondrous activities of the apostles during the early church. A glaring problem arises when many attempt to establish doctrine from a historical record. Dr. Richardson explains that is problematic for a book that is providing us description, not prescription. Listen to me. Acts is not prescribing what must be done. It is only describing what was done. I want you to hold on to that. So what is Luke telling us in these baptismal texts in Acts? He is not describing what formula baptism is to be administered, but by what authority it is to be done. Let's look at Colossians 3.17. It says, Whosoever, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of Jesus. Now let's just pump the brakes a little while. Since the command to do everything in Jesus' name is used as a command, and they use that as a command to baptize by saying in Jesus' name, we speak all things and everything must be done in Jesus' name. But let me ask you a question. We don't brush our teeth. And before we brush our teeth, say, I do this in Jesus' name, do we? Do we audibly say that? I'm getting ready to have a bowel movement. Do I say I'm having a bowel movement in Jesus' name? Do I have an oral declaration for that? We don't converse during business meetings and pronounce, in Jesus' name, I'm going to say this at a business meeting. You see how absurd it is to use that verse to say, well, the Bible says whatsoever you do in word and deed, we got to do it in Jesus' name, so I'm baptizing in Jesus' name. See, is this, is this text advocating such literal behavior? No, it isn't. So neither is it relative to baptism, um, you know, as a formula according to Acts 2.38. The truth is, Luke is reaffirming the reality of all that we do is based upon the grounds and the authority obtained by Christ and imputed unto the believer. This is emblazoned in Acts 4 and 7 when the question was asked, by what authority was this man healed? And they reiterated, what Jesus said in Matthew 28 and 18, all authority has been given unto me. And based upon that, you go and disciple and baptize and teach. Acts 22 and 16 is another proof text that one is used to teach that baptism in Jesus' name washes away sins. But we at Truth Matters must assume that at the time that Ananias prayed for Paul, 
for him to receive his sight, Paul already had received the Holy Spirit in Acts 9 and 17. This was before he was baptized. Acts presents a transition period where God's focus turns from Israel to the church. The events recorded in Acts are not always normative. With regard to receiving the Holy Spirit, the norm, the norm is that a person receives it and is permanently indwelt by the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. See, the Greek aortist participle, epikalamasasanas, translated calling on his name, refers either to action that is simultaneous with or before that of the main verb to be baptized. What are you saying here, Pastor Adams? Here Paul's calling on Christ's name for salvation preceded his water baptism. The participle may be translated having called on his name, which makes more sense as it would clearly indicate the order of the events. Now concerning the words, be baptized and wash away your sins, because Paul was already cleansed spiritually at the time that Christ appeared to him. These words must refer to the symbolism of baptism. Baptism is a picture of God's inner work of washing away our sins. Acts 16, 30 and 33, the Roman jailer was observed, he, he really observed the prison being shaken and and Paul and Silas were being set free by the miraculous move of God. And the Roman jailer, he acknowledged the power of God that was on display. And he realized that they were really the servants of Jesus Christ. And because he was convinced they were the servants of Jesus Christ, he hollered out and he said, what must I do to be saved? What did Paul tell this man at this critical moment in his life? In genuine sincerity, he wanted to hear words of what is God's will in the process that I need to follow to be saved. Paul did not say, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins will be remitted. But what did Paul say? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. And the inference is believe on what he's done. Believe that he's Lord and he's God. Believe that he is a propitiation of your sins and you shall be saved. Because the ordinance of baptism does not save or remit sins. But he said, I came to preach the gospel, which includes the finished work of Jesus Christ and the authority that he imputed to the apostles that was indicated by them being baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, who is the one true God, who brought salvation to all the world. Listen to me, beloved. Baptism is not the means, but is the indication that you have already been saved. Now, this is the truth about water baptism. God bless you and you pray for us in Jesus name. Amen.